God, I just want to lift up to you, Lord, uh, just again in a time where there is just such a bombardment of, of this, this message of, of um, fear and sickness and death and the reality even, God. I just pray, Lord, that we would find you to be truly the God of peace, a God that meets us in our need, a God that gives us security and an assurance that is rooted in your love and, Lord, our identity in Christ. I pray that we would be a light to the world. I pray that we would be moved with compassion, Lord, that we would go where you lead, Lord, selflessly and holy, God, and, Lord, that we would uh, love well. And so, Lord, we just pray for comfort. We pray for healing. And, Lord, we also just pray for this time right now. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would just open our hearts, our minds, and our lives. And, Lord, that we would be um, changed. Lord, that we would maybe gain a deeper understanding of who you are, of who we are, what we're created for, and what this life is all about. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, great. So we are continuing in Philippians, as Andy said, um, and Philipp, just to give us some needed kind of review, just to get us up to speed, because I know not everyone's been here for all the weeks, just quickly, like I would just say, if you want one word to, to summarize Philippians, it's hard to pick one, but we're going to go with tone over message, and that's encouragement. It is such an encouraging letter, and that's what it is. It is a letter from Paul to the church in Philippi, and really to his friends in Philippi. And so, so it's this encouraging letter. The content of the letter is one from Paul of grateful encouragement to his friends. So it's very relational. It is not as pastoral as a lot of his other his letters, where he's giving much more like correction and direction and instruction. This is very much of just a personal testimony of his encouragement from them, as well as his own heart for them. And that would be the other side of his encouragement, is in his love of them, in his sense of benevolent care and connection, what he is also in a, in a and, uh, he cannot escape from is this drive to encourage them to what matters most. And he wants to encourage them spiritually to pursue the progress of the gospel no matter the season or the circumstance. And just real quickly, the gospel, the word gospel itself is good news. And so we say the gospel of Jesus, we're saying the good news of Jesus, that is indeed that we can be saved, that we can be made whole, that we can be given peace with God for salvation, as well as for the perseverance of our lives and the building up of the church, the new people of God. That's the gospel. It's, it's holistic, it's everything, it's multi-directional, internal, external, you know, it's, it's reaching, it's building, it is caring, that's the, that's the progress of the, 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 that's the gospel. And so then when we think about the progress of the gospel being made and continued through the people of God, it is, of course, that the truth of Jesus would be proclaimed both uh, in word and deed as well as the personal living with perseverance of peace and hope. That is the progress of the gospel, the continued progress of the gospel. So, so we just came out of this section a couple weeks ago where there's this amazing statement made from Paul. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And if you've been around the church, you've probably heard it before, and it's probably one that you nod your head at a lot, but have you considered the gravity and immensity and kind of, like, if you really mean it, what he's saying, and Paul wrestles with it, and he says, hey, guess what? It is far better 
for me to go be with Jesus, to be free of this. Because what's the circumstance? If you don't know, he's in prison right now, probably chained between two guards writing this. He's in prison, and, and he's in prison for his faith, so he is accused rightly that he is giving his worship to another, but in the sense of like, would you feel like you deserve to be in prison if it's because of your faith? So like he's in prison kind of feeling wrongfully accused, and yet he is, he is saying like, so of course he's saying, I would rather be free from this and to be with my Savior, my Redeemer, my friend. He says, but for your sake, for your sake, I choose to stay. So that's where we went last week. And so Paul is now, and then he kind of closes that down with saying, and man, I'm confident that I'm going to get out of this situation because he had the death penalty on his head. He's in prison, but he's like, I'm going to get out of this and I hope to come to you. And then as we come to this section, it is now this kind of as if he's saying, but in the meantime, this is how I hope you live. That's where we're at now. And so now we come to this, our passage today, chapter 1, 27, and we're going to look through, verses, through verse 4, chapter 2. But this verse 27 is the beginning of this long section on this call for, for unity of the people of God. And, it's, and they want this, he wants this unity to both be an expression as well as the way to the progress of the gospel. So over the next three sermons, today, Easter, and then the, the next one after that, we will be looking at this section. And so that's what we want to look at today is kind of the beginning of this section and seeing that the unity of the people of God is both an expression as well as the way to the progress of the gospel. So if you haven't already, this is a long intro, um, Philippians 1.27 is where we're going to be. You can open up your Bibles to that. We'll have all of our text on the screens. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can click the More tab at the bottom right. Look for events. The Bridge Montrose pops up thanks to GPS if you don't have that on. You can put in the zip codes, which is 006, and we'll pop up. You can follow along there. There's also Bibles near you on the floor. Um, you can follow along there. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of those. That's our gift to you. And then we're also offering these Philippian scripture journals. Um, if you like to take handwritten notes, this is a really cool thing. On one side is the text. On the other side, it's a place to take notes. Um, we have a few of those. If, if you will use it and you would like one, please raise your hand. I think we might have around four left. We have seven left. Would anybody like one? Rebecca has one for you. Everyone's good. Good. All right, sweet. Let's keep moving then. All right, so we're in Philippians 127, and this is what I hope you hear and see today. I hope that you hear and see the astounding beauty of the love of God expressed to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. And I hope that you hear and see the astounding beauty that is possible of the people of God when they live out what they've been created to be and restored to be through the work of Jesus Christ. And so if, if you are here as a Christ follower, I want to I encourage you to listen with new ears because you've probably heard this or something like it before. It's a pretty popular message because it's pretty core to everything. So I want to encourage you to try your best to listen with new ears, with expectant ears, saying, God, thank you for loving me. Help me to know and see what you want me to see. If you are here as a seeker or a sojourner or a skeptic, um, I, 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 I'm glad you're here, and I pray that today you hear God's love for you. I pray today that you hear God's promise for you, and I pray today that you hear God's invitation to you uh, through Jesus. 
And so let's just all humbly enter into this time for the next few minutes. I'm going to read our text in full, uh, Philippians 1:27 through chapter 2, verse 4, and then we'll work through it fairly quickly. Um, so here we go. 127. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am, a- or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Okay, so back in verse 27, we start with this imperative. Again, Paul is saying, hey, I hope to get to you, but until I do, hey, remember, this is what your life should look like. I hope you live this way. And so we start with that imperative, and that imperative is this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what is he saying here? It may seem, it may seem plain and easy, but there's some, there's some richness to this if we dig a little bit. So that term, manner of life, In the Greek, what it means is to conduct oneself with proper reference to one's obligations in relationship to others. So it is a communal identity here. This manner of life is one of citizenship, right? And so it's calling us to live as good citizens as part of a people. And he's not just talking about as a citizen of Philippi. He is saying as a people that have been made by the work of God, a people that have been called together and bound together, you exist as a people, as a community. So, so first off, there's just a huge clue that matters a lot. And then it says worthy. And this is certainly in the sense of pursuing to, to kind of just like to, to do justice to the gospel of Jesus. But it's not one of you proving your worthiness because you never ever, ever will. No one is righteous. No, not one. Right? That's the reality. None of us can measure up to a holy God. He is holy. He is perfect. And he, he has created us to be that. And we have fallen short of that. And that is the standard. And so we see that this is not about us making ourselves worthy. It's not about attaining worthiness. But it is about living in a way that is consistent. And this word worthy, that's what it means. It is that it is to be consistent with. It is that which is appropriate for the situation. And so when we connect that to the gospel, what we're seeing is it's saying, it is saying as a people live in a way that shows that you have experienced the redeeming, saving, restoring, liberating work of Jesus Christ that he has made you new, that he has made you whole, that he has made you belong, that he has made you fearless 
I'm giving it all away. This is a really fun sermon. That really could be the sermon. Like, that's kind of everything. But, and so what we see is this saying, live in a way that is consistent with, a, that, that, that shows a work has been done in you. And so when we bring that all together, pursue that the way you live amongst your new family reflects the work that Christ has already accomplished in you and is accomplishing through you. This passage will show us characteristics of the gospel of Jesus and therefore the manner of life worthy of the gospel. So we want to start with this idea of a manner of life worthy of the gospel. So we start uh, with what we already saw, that there is a new people that exist as the family of God, the people of God. The gospel of Jesus creates a new people, so a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel lives as a people or a family. So there's a recurring theme to today. This keeps coming up. It's beautiful that today is family commissioning. This calls us to this again. So we want to see a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel lives as a family. So quickly to define family, it's a group of people who share common ancestors. Just kind of that's the most baseline description of a family. We have a heavenly father that, that took us who were rebels and outcasts because of our sin and rebellion which we have all done, and in his grace, by faith through Christ, he has restored us and adopted us, made us a part of the family as sons and daughters of the family of God. And out of that common ancestry also comes common values, common core, common convictions, common desires. And now we're talking about healthy family because we know that many of us in here have not come from healthy families, and we know that every one of us in here has some kind of drama. Some kind of family drama. Drama is just, family is just drama. And all its beautiful, messy glory. Because people are drama. And so we can't help but have some kind of family discord at some time. And so that's part of family. But when we're talking about what God creates here, we're talking about in the, in the intention and design. And so in this, where we come under a common father, given a common name that is son and daughter of God by the work of Jesus... We also come into common values and characteristics. And so when we think of a family, we think of this bind. We think of this bonding. We, you know, it's this idea that blood is thicker than water. Like, I can say that about my, my sister, but you can't kind of thing. And like, we, we show up, we, you know, we are there when needed. Again, we're talking about the healthy expression of family. You get each other's back. And so as we see this, we see this picture of saying in one spirit, side by side, Right? We see this call to be in one spirit, side by side. We are bound together, a work of the Holy Spirit, side by side. We are in loving and committed teamwork, which again, like, is such a great descriptor of what family should be like, where we are pursuing and, and being together. Again, we're going to unpack this more as we go in just a moment of what this looks like. But a great illustration of this one spirit side by side as a family came from a friend of mine. His name is Chad Clarkson. He's the director of the Houston Church Planting Network. And they were just doing some uh, short-term mission work. And they were in Mozambique, Africa. And they were working with some impoverished communities and villages. And they were working with these, they were playing games with some of these children of these impoverished villages, children's children of these impoverished villages. And they're setting up games, and they want to do this race. And so they get all these boys on the line, and they say, all right, we're going to race. And then down here, they get this finish line, and they put this candy bar on this stump. And they say, you're going to race to the stump. First one to the stump gets the candy bar. So the boys are on the line. 
And they're like, all right, all right. You know, and they're like, it's a candy bar. And so they're like, on your mark, get set, go. And, and you would expect the boys just to tear for that candy bar. But they stop, they stand up, and they lock arms. And then they walk to the candy bar, ensuring that they get there at the same time so that every one of them gets to share a piece, that every one of them is, is, gets to enjoy the moment, gets to enjoy the treasure. And this is a picture of what we see here, of what we are called to be as the family of God. One spirit, it is a work, it is a result of the Holy Spirit who is given to us. He is a person who, who shows us how to relate in a new way. And binds us. So it is a work that is done by him and that he inclines our hearts and our lives and our, and our tendencies towards this. And then it says striving for one thing. And we strive for the faith of the gospel. We call each other to what is most important. We point each other to it. We show it to each other. I, was, I, I went to the park yesterday and ended up sitting on the bench with a, with a mother, and she was saying, you know, one of the coolest things I love with my son is he's there in, immersed in a video game. And when I sit there and say, hey, stop playing your game, go do something productive, that never works. But what I'm amazed with every time is when I go and I grab his toys and I start pulling out his toys and kind of creating and playing, nothing is said. All of a sudden, I just find him beside me. And, we're, and he is enjoying something that, that I was trying to call him to. And so I showed him the way. I, I invited him in. And so, again, this is the idea of striving for, for faith together in the gospel and that we show each other the way. We, we show each other what it is, and we call each other to love God and to love people, to pursue the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what our family does. And we do it in one mind because we have been given and we have been transformed in the renewing of our mind. That is the work of Christ. So we rally around the call and the cause of Christ. We do not elevate some, some over others because of affluence, reputation, or some shinier gifting. That is not how this looks. We don't expect some to do all the work while we just sit on the couch and say, hmm, that's not my job. We are all responsible. We make sure no one gets left behind and we strengthen those that are weak. Again, like our pace is set by the one who is tired. And I'll tell you what, like this is a word for me because I, I, I didn't come up with this, but there's a guy named Jeff Christofferson, and, and he has some similar tendencies to me, and he is pastored. And, you know, there's an analogy of how we are f shepherds of flocks, and as pastors we have sheep. And he's like, you know, I, I get out there, and I start calling the sheep, and they're like, and, the, and all is great. And then all of a sudden the sheep start getting tired, and you hear them saying, me, me, me. And he's like, for me, like as one who likes to run, all, I, I just say, hey, okay, just limp faster, let's go. Limp faster, let's go. And that's, but that's not, I have to fight this tendency, and that's not the picture here, is that we set our pace by those that are weak, and we strive together, and we support, and we strive, and we set our pace by those who are hurting, and we slow down, and we are present. This is the family of God. I have to move on. I'm sorry. So we're going to keep moving. Let's look at Philippians 1, 
28 through 30, as we are coming from seeing that a manner of the life worthy of the gospel is one that lives as a family. Now let's look at this. It says in verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them for their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And this verse, like if this isn't familiar to you, and even if it is, it kind of, man, if you really, really process it, it sounds pretty dark. It sounds pretty, pretty like dis, it sounds very impersonal. It sounds very much about like, hey, as long as I'm good, I'm good. That's kind of what you can read this as. So let's, let's break it down real quick. So if we think about the gospel of Jesus here, what do we see here? The gospel of Jesus is a fearless gospel. So a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel is fearless. What we see here is they are facing external opposition. Quite literally, their lives are in danger because of their faith, because of their trusting in Jesus. We, we most likely will not have to face death. There is a chance, but most likely anyone in this room will not have to face death for their faith. But we face opposition nonetheless, and it is no less valid, and the opportunity is no less great. We live in a time where disagreement is hatred, and, it's, and it, is, it is a hard thing to have a voice that is different in, on any side, right? And, and so we were just uh, discussing this in our disciple-making learning communities that we do. We were asking, you know, what are the obstacles for you in, in uh, sharing your faith and living out your faith. And, and it's interesting, as we were kind of unpacking this, a, a statistic came to mind from one of Barna's studies. I don't know if you know this, but he found that 47% of convictional Christian millennials see, feel that it is ethically wrong for them to share their faith with someone of a differing belief with intent that they would convert their beliefs. And when we, say, when we say convert their beliefs, let's be clear, what we're talking about is someone coming to salvation. We're talking about someone finding redemption, someone finding all these things we've been describing the whole time. And so there, that is a subtle bending to the voice of the age. I don't think anyone in that survey that, that stated that would say, I don't care about the souls of my friends. They would not say, I don't care about the salvation of the people of this world. But, but in some way, there is such a strong opposition to having a claim that is different than the center line of culture or just any perspective that we have come to feel that it is an, and is an offense to say you are wrong. For, for others in the room, it was the intimidation. It was being thought of as a bigot, being, being thought of as a simple-minded, you know, kind of, you know, low creature. For, for me, honestly, one of my biggest struggles is kind of confirming suspicions that all Christians care about is you agreeing with them. And so in any proclamation of the gospel, I will feel that tension, and there are times that I will shy away, that I will soften my proclamation. So that is something I continue to remember, but it's real. We face fears. And so the promise we can know here 
is Isaiah 41.10. God promises this. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not, for I am with you. See, we, we have an assurance in Christ because he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might become right and worthy of fellowship with him. And we've been given the Holy Spirit to give us power and remind us that we are claimed and loved by God and nothing will ever take us from his hand. So we can be fearless because what is the consequence if we have an eternal view and a, and a life of, uh, and we view life from the ultimate realities that are to be and are now. You know, when he talks about, like, you know, your salvation was not just for your salvation. The gospel work in you was not just for your salvation, but it's also that you were chosen to suffer along with Christ, and it should be your joy. And what in the world is that about? It is this idea that is saying that because, like, if Jesus is worthy of that suffering— and I would be considered worthy as well for the same reason that it is an honor. It is to identify with our Savior. It is saying that his cause is worthy. So if that's the, the, that's the cost of his cause, to seek and save the lost, to bring redemption to the world, then, man, it is a, a joy to be chosen for that. Because for the sake of the cause of Christ. And then what we see here, the world that is in need of God's redemption in Christ can't afford our fear. So let's unpack that other like, weird little text that said, hey, this is for their destruction and for your salvation that is from God. What we see here is that the mission of the gospel is accomplished through this very work because when we live with this kind of peace and assurance that is not based on the temporal things of this world but the eternal promises and work of God in Christ, then we will find a testimony because this, this is not a statement about flaunting or taunting or being smug or arrogant about our position in a people that don't know because we know. That's the antithesis to the heart of God. It is that through those that have experienced the grace, all the world would know the grace of God. Through those who have been blessed by salvation would be a blessing to the world. So that is the heart of God. So he is saying that as you live with this peace and assurance in the midst of chaos and dire circumstances, this will point to the reality of the work of Christ in your lives and call the unbelieving, hurting, seeking, desiring world to the realities of a holy God working through Jesus and that they would respond to his love and justice that are perfectly commingled in Jesus and respond with joyful surrender. So to say it will be an evidence of their destruction, it is saying that they will recognize their need for a Savior, and they will recognize that any worth that you have is from the salvation of Jesus in your life. You are promised a peace that surpasses understanding. You are more than conquerors in Christ because your victory is by him, not by you. You are loved and accepted because of Christ's claim on your life, not because of what you accomplish. What is there left to fear? So one of your most powerful opportunities to be the very light you desire to be is to actually cling to the hope and peace of Jesus and to find yourself without fear because God says, I am with you and I will not leave you and I will never forsake you because my son Jesus did it, not you. Man, that's good. 
I got I to gotta keep moving. So the gospel of Jesus is a loving gospel also. Uh, and so, yes, that's, that, that's our last point. The gospel of Jesus is a loving gospel. So a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel is loving. And you see how for these first two to be effective, it must be loving. Because without love, to say this was for your destruction and our salvation, you would see the outcome of that. But, but if it's led by love, then we would see that it's an invitation. So listen to the way of the loving gospel described in verses 1 through 4, chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So do you see this? At the beginning, what we see is that we are conditioned for this way of life. What do I mean by that? So he starts off by saying, so if there is, and he goes on to say, any encouragement in Christ, any comfort and love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So for there to be a possibility of this being a reality, what it means is that it has to be reality, that this is what Christ brings and offers. So it could also be said, because Jesus provides a reality of persistent encouragement because Jesus brings a comforting love, because Jesus offers and brings an abiding life with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus shows a benevolent affection and sympathy. And we have all experienced these things. If you have called on Christ, we are able to live with one another in this world in those very postures, those very intentions. The provision of Jesus comes from us experiencing these things, not just pursuing these things. It's not saying, okay, like go and try to embody this. It's saying, don't forget you've experienced this from Jesus and you know what it feels like and tastes like. So don't forget and invite others into the same thing. You can't lead someone to somewhere you haven't been. Have you heard that before? Praise God, Jesus knows that. He created us that way, and that's why he showed us from the very beginning. He didn't leave us to make it up. He said, this is what it is, from death to life, from dark to light, from aimlessness to intention in all things. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to figure it out. You've experienced it, and you get to walk in humility and boldness pursuing that. This results in our unity that is born out of love. So again, we started with seeing that we are made a people, we're made a family. Unity is absolutely a necessity. It is both naturally the outcome if we actually surrender and pursue and live into and out of the work of Christ, and it's also what we are to pursue. In verse two, just kind of moving quickly, we see as one, we are bound and committed to the heart and mind of Christ. And, how did, and what did Christ do? He came not to be served, right? The God of all things entered in and didn't say, bow down and you will worship me, and that's your way out. He came in to serve, to, to enter into our humanity. And man, come Easter, we're going to unpack the next Next six verses show us this in great detail, but for now, we say 
in the mind of Christ, we get to embody what it is to come to, not to be served, but to serve. He came to give his life and to die the death we should have died to give us the life we don't deserve. Right, that's, that's the work of Christ. That's what we are invited into and to pers- it's the way of pursuing this unity. So I want to pause for a moment to understand the heart of the gospel by understanding Jesus' definition of love. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Ephesians 5 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is the love that we're talking about here. It is others-focused, self-giving, sacrificial. It is proactive and intentional. It is purposeful. It is rich. That is the loving gospel. So we want to see the manner of this loving life in verses 3 through 4, right? I'm going to read it one more time just because it's really good, if you don't mind. This is bringing us to the end. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Let's think of Jesus. He showed us that. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each, let each of you not, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. There is no room for selfish ambition or conceit. It makes you empty, neglects others, brings strife, and, and kind of ensures the progress of Satan instead of Jesus, right? Like, I mean, that's just kind of the reality. So there's no room for selfish ambition or conceit. And in humility, we count others more significant. And just quickly, when we think of humility, what is humility? Maybe you've heard this definition before, but humility is not thinking less of yourself, how low can I be? But it is thinking, it is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Thanks, Hiro. Affirming nod, that's, he's like, yeah, that's right. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah, thanks. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what humility is. And, you know, and there's a clue here because he goes on to say, don't just look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so we see that it's okay to like steward yourself. We see that it's okay to consider your own needs because we actually should. Like we should be intentional of what it is. I mean, we're talking about Sabbath. Like you don't get to rest without, especially in our culture, you don't get to rest if you don't plan for it, if you don't work for it. Like you have to order your life and be intentional to be able to really rest well. And so we even see there is this necessity of being aware of the most, of, the, of our needs but, but also what it's saying here is equally, if not more, let that be a guide for how interested you are in the needs of others. It's at least equal, if not greater. And if you want to kind of see some teaching of Jesus here, what was the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We don't need to be taught how to love ourselves. We need to be taught how to love others. Now, when I say love ourselves, we abuse ourselves. But what I'm saying about what, 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 what I'm saying here is pursuing the benefit of ourselves. Now, we often get misaimed and we pursue empty things, but we think we're pursuing the benefit of ourselves. So we, we, we are naturally inclined to do that. So first off, the promise of Christ is that we find the true hope and, and fulfillment, but then also that we are freed up to not just worry about myself because guess what? I'm not my refuge. I'm not my deliverer. I'm not my defender. There is one greater than I, and his name is Jesus. 
So I get to hold my life with open hands, and I'm freed up to be able to concern myself with the needs and interests of others. That is the posture of this kind of love. It's the posture of the love of Jesus. It is the manner of life that is worthy of the gospel, the loving gospel. So this is a picture of laying down our lives for your friends, your family, for the world, lifting up their arms as they grow weary, slowing down your pace to be with them, proclaiming the truth of God when their conscience is burdened or lies take hold. Man, being a source of truth and life and grace. And to close with this, in this context, in the context that we see here, they necessarily were pressed into life together. They were a far minority in their, their culture. Philippi was basically a Roman city. It was occupied by, by ex-military. Um, and so that was basically the culture of, of Philippi. And so the, the believing, convictional Christians, they were just a small minority. Also, they were, it was an unwelcomed reality in the culture. So not only were they a minority, they were also, they were, they were pushed into hiding. They were pushed into not being in the open. So they were necessarily pressed into life together. There weren't multiple gospel communities for them to choose from where they fit best. Again, that's our reality. This is where we see God's heart of this call togetherness that we see all through Scripture, that we see the church described as apply to our local congregations in our context. We have to think about how does this go because the reality is that this way of life sounds beautiful. And a lot of people, it's kind of, they, they buy into the quick sugar hit of what this sounds like. But the reality is, is that it's difficult in our context. It's, all, it's kind of more difficult because of how easy it is to be a Christian here. We're not pressed. We, have, we, we can go anywhere. We can, I mean, from here, within one mile, there are four really solid churches. Praise God for that. And I love these churches. So as the Lord leads, be where he puts you. But that's the point, is that we have to assume that God is part of putting us where we are. And so we are not pressed into this space. We don't feel the pressure of, of, of persecution. We don't feel the pressure of, of, of total dismissal of life and message. So we have to dig deeper into the heart of God and his design, and we are more of a family of choice. And so I just want to encourage you, as the Lord leads you, if this is your place, really prayerfully think about what does it look like to lean into and prioritize, as far as family relationships go, life together. How, what does it take to be able to be this kind of encouragement to one another? What does it take to be this, this voice of peace and truth and grace to one another? Can you do it just by, by, by coming to a couple of things, or does it take something more? Does it, does it take a way of sharing life? And again, we say this with all humility and patience, and I want to encourage you, please have that on yourself and others, because that's why this is difficult, because we all engage it differently, and people are strong in some areas and weaker in other areas, and we all think everyone should be strong in the same areas I'm strong in and not care as much about the areas I don't care about, and then we end up getting frustrated with each other and we end up kind of saying it's not worth it and we end up kind of going somewhere we can just kind of show up and get a little kind of fix and then go like let's let's really dig into like what is God's intent for the people of God and so I just want to as the Lord leads you here to this place and to this time in this time for this season until he calls you out and we send you with joy which by the way we did a really sobering amazing sad thing in our staff meeting this week we, we, we made a list 
of our, of our partners that will be moving in the next six months to different things. And it was like, oh, Lord, this is awesome and sad. And like, I mean, like, and we look at every one of those as ascending. We are a transient church. People come in and they go because of seasons of life and whatever else. And so we want to build into each other, love one another, and send each other well. So we will celebrate everyone as ascending. So just as the Lord has you here, think deeply and honestly about how you get to be a part of this. It's never passive. You don't, you don't get to come in and partake without also offering. It is part of God's design of the family of God. So that's a long time for me to be up here. I pray that we understand how the manner of life that is an outcome of the gospel that we are pursuing to live worthy of the gospel is one that is done as a people, a family, that results in a fearless, loving life for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel in us and around us. Let me pray. Hmm. God, man, that was a lot in a relatively little time. I pray that you're able to still our hearts and our minds, Lord, that our, our, our souls in this truth, Lord, would catch up and penetrate our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray for each person in this room that they would hear the call and promise of Jesus beckoning, whether it's for those who have already confessed and followed Christ, Lord, to be renewed and restored and maybe invigorated, Lord, to something um, um, greater and deeper, or whether it's to the initial call to salvation through your loving grace. Lord, I just pray for that work to be complete, God. I pray that we would embody a life manner of the worthy of the gospel. So, Lord, continue to work through us now, speak to us now as we respond in communion.